This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This is the second series of this podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. And it's for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. It's for all the challenges and hurdles, the highs, the lows that you might go through. And also everyone in your life that's affected by your diagnosis too. Family, friends, work colleagues, the people who care for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. This is a podcast for what happens next. Today's episode is breast cancer and how you tell your children. As always, there is no right or wrong way. And if you have children who are young, it's going to be different to if you have teenagers. I have four women with me who are going to share how they did it. And we're going to hear from some of their children too. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm Rosamond Dean. I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in January this year. Um, I was 40 and uh, my kids, Ezra and Eden, are uh, they're now seven and four years old. And because I always like to explain the jargon, Rosamond, what's the significance of being diagnosed with uh, triple negative breast cancer? What does that mean? Most breast cancers are hormone receptive and triple negative is not. And it's a smaller number of cases. I think it's about 15%. And it's generally more aggressive. And it's more common in younger women as well. Thank you. Hi, my name's Camille Johnson. I was diagnosed with triple positive breast cancer this March at the age of 42. And when I was 16 years old, my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and she had inductal carcinoma. So I come from both perspectives of being the child that was told and then also myself telling my child, who is 22. Hi, um, so I'm Sarah Ockwell-Smith. I am a mum to four teenagers. Um, I'm also a parenting author. Um, in a previous life, I used to work in actually breast cancer research for pharmaceuticals. So I'm sort of professional at both ends of the spectrum. Um, and I come from a huge family of everybody getting breast cancer. So my grandmother had breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer. My aunt had breast cancer. And I was diagnosed two years ago when I was 43. So I've covered all bases for you. <laughs> Hi everyone, um, I'm Helen Gardner. I was diagnosed with breast cancer just short of my 35th birthday in 2016. Um, I just recently had um, the all clear from the oncologist to um, come off the tamoxifen medication. Woo! Um, yeah, woo! <laughs> <laughs> and um, my children at the time, I've got two boys, they were um, about five and seven when I was diagnosed and they're 13 and 10 now. How soon after you were diagnosed did you think, oh my God, how will I tell the children? I already kind of planned how I would tell my son. Um, so as soon as I found my lump, um, I kind of, I told my son's dad, we aren't together, but we co-parent very well. And I just said, I'm going to go and have a mammogram. but I'm telling you now because I need you to be prepared 
for him. So um, during COVID and having cancer with COVID, I think is maybe a different experience. Mm. I don't know what it's like not. Um, but during COVID, my son was working with teenagers who, you know, weren't, um, didn't have any vaccines back then and probably, I don't know, not social distancing in the same way. And I have asthma. So I wasn't comfortable with my son who was on his gap year from university living with me. So he was living with his dad. So I kind of pre-warned his dad. So it wouldn't be like a double shock if the outcome was the outcome that it it actually was. Um, And so I, I prepared that how I would do it. And I asked my breast care nurse the day I got my results, how should I tell my son? And she asked his age and she just said, just say it. There's no easy way. Mm. But, so, but but you're saying, Camille, as soon as you found a lump, you pretty were... much in the way, you know, you've got, I had about 12 days to wait for my mammogram. Mm. Lots of things go through your mind. You think of every possible scenario that it could be, or at least I did, especially I found that I wasn't sleeping at night and um, really struggled in that those days of not knowing. I found that really, really tough. Um, and so I kind of planned what I would do, who I would tell. Um, and I have a bit like Sarah, I have a lot of experience with breast cancer. Um, myself and my mum 11 years ago set up a business that sells post-mastectomy lingerie, sleepwear and swimwear. And so I have a lot of people that I talk to that I've met in real life that have gone through this. And I ask people's experiences of, you know, what to do and what did they do? And I already knew that I didn't want to tell everybody if I had breast cancer and how I was going to navigate that as well. And so I planned a lot of it out. I'm a bit of a control freak. Control what I could control because there's yeah, lots of things absolutely. during the journey. I don't know if that, can I just cut in? I don't know if that comes from because you've grown up with it. So I was really similar, but that I don't I don't have a life that doesn't have breast cancer in it, whether it's my own or my mum's or my grandmother's or anybody else's. And it was so matter of fact that, you know, I, I help other parents in my work as a parenting author and coach, but it was so matter of fact. It was like, oh, okay, I'm pretty sure I've got it. Now I've got to tell the kids. And I, I think it's maybe very different if you don't come from that background. Mm. Um, I, I think maybe because you, I'm assuming, and I shouldn't assume, but you probably have a hereditary gene or something like that. Yeah, was, no, I, I don't. Oh, okay, neither do I. <laughs> um, and my mum had hereditary testing and it came out negative. So I w- yeah. always kind of felt like, oh, I wasn't susceptible in a hereditary sense, but obviously you can still get breast cancer. Um, so I still hoped that it was going to be negative and I was kind of reassured, you're really young, you're younger than your mum, it's still probably unlikely, but we'll get it checked out. And so I didn't think that I would have it, but breast cancer has been prominent in my in my life growing up. I remember when I was five, my mum's best friend passed away from breast cancer and then I've just known people continually, unfortunately. For me, because because my children were quite young at the time, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I worried, obviously, terribly about how it would play out. But for us, it was it was more of a case of a stage. So um, I obviously found out, I got the diagnosis, and then very quickly, I was booked in for a lumpectomy. So for us, it was more about telling the children that I had to go into hospital to have a little operation. Um, and so I wouldn't be around for sort of the, the whole day or two days. But how, and it how ne- soon after diagnosis, Helen, did you think? So, my um, kids are young. I've just yeah. been diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm going to have to tell them or not. It was, it all happened really quickly. Once I got the diagnosis, they wanted to get me in the next week for the surgery. So it was within a couple of days. Mm. I think we just, um, we approached things in a very matter of fact practical way. I'll come to and that. I'll, 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 I want to ask you all how you did it, obviously. But Rosamond, 
How soon after diagnosis was it in your head? I'll have to tell the children. Yes, right away, immediately. In fact, my situation was um, before two days before Christmas, I went in for a mammogram. I had found a lump, but I, it didn't even cross my mind that it would be cancerous. I was completely convinced it was going to be a cyst or, or nothing. I, so I did not expect it at all. And at the mammogram, they did an ultrasound as well. And they said they could see from the type of lump it was, they could see there was, um, as they described it, a 95% chance that it was cancer. So before I got the biopsy results, we already knew there was a very high chance it was going to be cancer. The biopsy results took two weeks. So over that two weeks, this was in lockdown as well. So we didn't have to see anyone, which made it quite easy not to tell anyone. Um, we had the kids at home, obviously, but we didn't want to tell anyone until we knew for sure. Um, and weirdly, so that those two weeks were over Christmas mm. and we, on one of our walks around the block, we bumped into another family and one of their kids said to my son, oh, we shouldn't be, we're not meant to see each other because of COVID. And my son said, I know something worse than COVID, cancer, cancer makes you die. And it was it was so weird that it was so out of the blue. We'd never really talked about cancer with him. My aunt had died of cancer about a year before that. Um, so I guess in his mind, cancer kind of equaled death. Mm. And it it made me it I just instantly knew that as soon as we got the results, we would have to be completely honest with them because I wanted him to know that not all cancers are the same, not all breast cancers are the same. I'm not necessarily going to die. And I just wanted to demystify the whole thing for him because obviously in his mind, cancer was this big, scary thing that makes you die mm. right away. So, I yeah, I knew we were going to be totally honest with them. And we did tell them right away as soon as I was diagnosed. Before we hear how you told your children and before we hear from some of your children, uh, I want you to tell me a little bit about them. Obviously, you've told us their ages, reminders of their age and what sort of characters they are. Helen. So my two boys are quite similar in that they are super active. They don't stop from one minute to the next. And they've always been like that. Um, my eldest, Max, is a gymnast. So he trains six days a week and he's super busy with that. He does a lot of competitions. Um he trains in a squad, so he's competing at national level. Um, and my youngest, Sam, is now racing motorbikes. So we've always had a very busy household with them both, super active, very inquisitive, very bright. So it's uh, there's never a dull moment in our house. My boys actually are really sensitive. My my girl is less so. I think it's almost the opposite that you would imagine. But the the boy, well, I'm really close to all of them. Mm. But the um my oldest boy and my youngest boy, I think, are the most sensitive. So the most sort of impacted by everything. Um. So my son Kayan is 22. Um. He was in his placement year at university. He's studying sports science um, and he's very active in terms of sports and activities like that. And he's quite a social character, but he's also really quite quiet. Um, he's very go with the flow, very chilled out. Um, and I think he internalizes a lot of emotion. So although he might not see, you might, a lot of people wouldn't notice if there was something wrong, but I think as a parent, you kind of notice, but the average person wouldn't notice if something was wrong. So that's why I kind of pre-warned his dad to like mm. be on the lookout because he wasn't externally kind of thing. And he's quite, um, 
most people say he's quite quiet, but his friends wouldn't say that. Is that kind of a fair kind of statement? That, that, that makes sense. Rosamond, yeah. tell us about your two. Um, so my kids were, my son was six and my daughter was three when I was diagnosed. They were very small and they're both very um, happy, happy-go-lucky, carefree, affectionate, not very kind of normal kids. Uh, we were in lockdown at the time, which I know... Um, some kids found hard and especially older kids I think maybe they were so young they were they kind of loved it they just loved having my husband and I home all the time um so yeah they were they're very happy I, I feel like they're they're quite um they're at that age where you get glimpses of kind of hidden depths so normally I don't get any feedback from school I've who did you sit beside today what did you have for lunch and they're like I don't know can't remember I don't know and then every now and then they'll sort of ask a really sort of intuitive question that shows they have been paying attention Uh, my two boys were eight and 11 Oliver was 11 year six the last year of primary school and Joe was eight whatever year that is I've forgotten um and that was six years ago they're now uh 17 and 14 and Joe, younger one, sociable, happy, funny. Um, Oliver, sociable, but a bit more cautious, a bit more suspicious of people, perhaps a little bit like me in that respect. Um, Both clued up with kind of news and politics. We're both journalists. The TV, the radio's on, newspapers, everything is there all the time. So they know about stuff. Okay, let's hear from Helen's son, Sam. Um, Helen chatted to him. And this is what he had to say. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Helen's son. And I was just turned five when my mum was diagnosed with cancer. Do you remember when you were told? I don't remember that. I don't really remember if I was told. I just remember being in a hospital every morning of the summer holiday. And do you remember what you did there? I remember my mum being in a room and I was, me and my brother were sat taking turns on a spinny chair. Do you remember how any of it made you feel? Uh, not really. I just remember about being on the, in the hospital and well, I didn't really know much about cancer at that time. How does that make you feel listening to that, Helen? It's quite emotional, actually, um, because... It's like you said earlier, obviously, at different ages, it will be a different experience. And in a way, I'm I'm happy that they don't remember a great deal other than the spinny chair. I mean, that that's the that's only thing. That's just so typical, isn't it? <laughs> they, I love know, it. Yeah, they're fighting over the spinny chair <laughs> in the radiotherapy department <laughs> every day. Um, but it's, I think now that they're, older and obviously they they have lived with it over the past five years while I've been on the medication and had my annual mammogram so they're obviously emerging with far more knowledge now and awareness which is great I, I love that they're far more aware now um, and they are very intelligent and they are very sensitive so to hear Sam now is actually quite insightful because I don't think we've ever actually sat down now and and spoken about it well, let's hear from Matt. When I was about seven, my mum told me that she'd been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, at that time, I didn't really know much about it, so I, I couldn't really understand what she was going through. And then 
all I really remember was me going to the hospital every day to do like going into an x-ray room or something um obviously now I know a lot more about cancer and it'll probably be a lot more different now so yeah I couldn't really tell you much because I don't really remember so listening to that Helen how does it make you feel to hear Matt's recollections to be honest I I thought he might have remembered more so again in a way I'm 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 quite pleased that they don't have a negative memory of that time. Um, and I know whenever they've spoken before, it has always been about the spinny chair. So that is their overriding memory <laughs> and hot, getting hot chocolates out of the cafe on the way back out. You know, it was to them, it was a great, you know, it was, it was a great part of the summer holidays. Mm. It was quite fun for them. But um, again, he's 13 now. So Camille, he is going through the whole grumpy, challenging teenager phase, but he is also quite sensitive. So it was difficult for him to open up. He went and recorded that sort of by himself away from me. Um, but it's, I think it just brings you back down to earth to, to recognise actually how, how mature they are now about it mm. and, and how they accept that they're much more aware. Rosamond, let's hear from Ezra shall we so he was six when you were diagnosed and you spoke to him over the last couple of days and here is what he remembered hello I'm Ezra when I heard mum has cancer I was quite scared but she said it was going to be fine she was very tired during cancer treatment but I gave her lots of cuddles they had to cuddle her gently after her operation and now she's okay the hair's going back I love you mummy oh <laughs> how does that make you feel Rosman oh here's a so yeah he was when I asked him about it he he was quite he almost found it quite difficult to talk about so in the end we kind of wrote it down and he mm. sort of said so maybe it sounds a bit like he's reading it and that's why because he wrote it down first but yeah I mean the thing for him I suppose is the kind of physical manifestations of cancer treatment so when like after the mastectomy when I, I had Dieppe flap reconstruction so there was like wounds all over me and he couldn't jump on me in the same way and I, I know he found that quite hard because he's I mean like lots of small boys very very kind of physical um and yeah the hair growing back has been a big thing for both of them because I suppose it's just it's you know it's one of the things that kind of makes you who you are your hair yeah it's such a big part of your identity and I know I know it was quite it was almost as hard for them to see me lose my hair as it was for me well, on the subject of her, let's listen to your daughter. It's a very short clip and it's uh, Eden talking about your hair. Um, mummy, hair is going back. Oh, age three, mummy's hair has grown back. Again, for, for a toddler, that's what she sees and that's the thing that is what your cancer experience is like for her. Yeah, yeah. I think the only time that I saw her upset during my whole kind of cancer journey was when she first she came to a bathroom after I'd had a shower and I guess my hair it was when I was losing quite a lot of my hair and I suppose it looked very kind of patchy then and bald patches and it was clear how much had come out and uh yeah she I think she found it quite distressing in a way that was when I had to really kind of reassure her. Mm. Well in the spirit of openness my husband 
talk to our boys about when we told them. So they were 8 and 11 at the time. They're now 14 and 17, as I said. They're called Joe and Oliver, and I haven't heard this, so this is the first time I'm hearing it. I just about remember how I got told that my mum had cancer. It was a, it was after school one night, and me and my brother were playing Minecraft in the front room. Um, and we got called into the kitchen, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a time to get off the screen, or it wasn't a time to go to bed, or it wasn't a dinner's ready call. It was a, can can we have a talk, or can we have a chat, or can we speak to you? So I knew it was serious. I immediately thought I was in trouble, or Ollie had done something wrong. Um, and we sat around the island and, and I can't remember whether it was my mum or my dad. We were all sat around, all four of us, but I can't remember which one it was that told us eventually the, the actual, you know, harsh truth that mum had cancer. I think um, we got told and I knew what it was. I knew it was, you know, horrible, but I never thought something like that could affect our family because it's... It's until it's something like that happens to your family that you realise that it can happen to anyone. Uh, and I was about eight years old, and I remember, I remember sitting in silence for a few minutes, and and then going back to playing Minecraft. And it was quite solemn for the rest of the day and the week. And you know, to this day, still I remember the times. I remember the, the remember the period of time that it was that it was most sad and, and the most sad I was was when I came home from school and my mum was on the sofa you know completely drained and had a, a drain bag I think it's called and it's just tubes of blood and it's horrible seeing your, ho- your own mum but anyway yeah that's how I got told that was Joe um he was yeah his recollections are different from mine, but I'll talk about that in a moment. So this is Ollie. He's now seventeen. Um, he was eleven at the time. When my parents uh, found out that my mum had cancer, uh, they called me into the kitchen and sat me and my brother around the island, and they simply sat down and told us, sat us down and told us, your mum's got cancer and. Bearing in mind, I am 11, 12 at the time, and my brother's eight or nine at the time. And they just told us straight, and I think that was a brilliant thing to do because they then went on to say, she'll be treated and she'll be cured and it'll be all right. Because in my head at the time, it was cancer equals death. But they very, very quickly in the space of one conversation reassured me that it would be okay. And I think that was the best thing to do. Can I just say, it makes it sound like we summoned them into the kitchen. <laughs> we didn't all sit around the island. We were all standing up. And we, I was really, we were both, Mark and I were really low key. And I used the example of a friend of ours who'd had breast cancer, Natalie, and who was fine. And I said, you know what Natalie had? It was breast cancer. And you know how she's fine now? Well, I've got that. And I'll be treated over the next few months. And then it's going to be fine. And, and... And they they took it, and 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 you know we were straight, and you know they knew the word cancer. We'd had we Mark and I had briefly said, "Oh, should we not use the word cancer?" Which of course is stupid. We thought within seconds. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that my memories of it are different to theirs. 
I actually told them the day that I went to have the biopsy before I got my biopsy results because it was so obvious mm. from the way everybody spoke to me and and I, you know I understood a little bit of looking at the screen and stuff like that. So for me, I preferred to tell them then and there because I knew the two week wait for results. I'd be a really horrible person because I'd be so stressed and anxious, and I wanted them to know why I would be like that, if that made sense. And I said, you know, there is such a tiny chance that it isn't, but I'm certain it is. And just exactly the same conversation as you really just said, you know, I found this lamp, I went for this scan, they're pretty certain I've got cancer. Um, but, you know, cancer is not one disease, it's many different diseases. And I've got a, a, a good form of it, not that there is a good form, mm. and they think it's an early stage, so my prognosis is really good. One thing that I was really clear about because they were older is please don't go away and Google it by yourself because what you will find on Google, like you don't know exactly what I've got. I don't know exactly what I've got yet either, but when you go away and Google, you're open to a whole world and you don't know that that applies to me. So if you have any questions, please, please come to me or come to dad. Or if you want, we can have a book and you can write questions in the book and I'll read through them and I can even write them back if you don't mm. want to talk to me back. But it was really important to me that they asked me any questions rather than went and investigated. Camille, how did uh, Kayan take it? Um, so I went to his dad's house and... Um, He'd actually had a delivery here. And so he thought I was just bringing that and I was passing by to friends or something. Um, and then when I kind of stayed in the house, he was like, oh, this is a bit odd because the previous month was his birthday and I actually didn't come in the house. We went out for a walk because there was, you know, lockdown, mm -hmm. social distancing and stuff like that. So we went for a walk outside. So he's like, well, why are you here? So he's he was already kind of like, what's up? And so then he started thinking, when I spoke to him afterwards, he actually thought he was in trouble, but he didn't know what he'd done. He's like, this is really odd. And so I was sitting on a chair and he was sitting on one sofa and his dad was sitting on another sofa across the room. And I just said it. And then, and it was the said hardest what? thing I've... What did you say? Said, um, There's no easy way to tell you, but I've got breast cancer. And I, I'm an only child and so is he. And I... I feel that sometimes being an only child, it's a lot for you to take on, on board yourself. You don't have somebody else like that you can kind of support you who's like a sibling. Mm. And I just saw his whole body just drop. Like, and it like broke my heart. It's the own, it's the worst feeling I've ever felt. Just seeing your son's whole body just go from physically drop his shoulders and was just like, you could just, see the worry in his eyes in a split second mm. and then the tear like water watered up and and then he said can I come and give you a hug because we hadn't physically oh. hugged for ages and I said yes you can and then he came over and we had a hug um but like Sarah I gave examples of um you know granny's had breast cancer and he knows that his grandma's had breast cancer his whole life he's known that um I have a friend two friends whose parents have had breast cancer and have both survived. And then his dad's girlfriend, her mum had breast cancer 10 years ago and she had survived. So I gave all the positives mm. that I knew of um, and to try and reassure him as much as you can as a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was really honest with him. On the question of survival, I should have said earlier, we only told our two when we knew that my cancer was treatable. So although they were coming with me to the GPs and the hospital and all the rest of it, we hadn't actually told them it was cancer. And it was when we had the realisation that, okay, 
albeit a mastectomy and six rounds of chemo and 30 sessions of radiotherapy, yes, it was going to be treatable. So I was going to live. I was going to survive. I I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how you do it if, if, if the diagnosis was terminal. I didn't know at that time. So I knew that I'd had um, breast cancer in the lump and in one lymph node. Mm. And so I hadn't had a PET scan yet. And I knew that was to come. And I was just really honest with him because like Sarah, you don't want your child going to Google. When I was told the internet didn't exist, Mm. you know, it's very different. And that's the worst, you know, for me, I felt I don't want them. So I just very, very honest. um, And so that I felt that he didn't have the need to go to Google. Mm. Rosamond and Helen, with younger children, did did you and your other halves, did you ever have that conversation of, shall we use the word cancer or should we just leave the word cancer out? So we decided to be very honest and use the word cancer. Um, yeah, because of... Because of what you'd heard in the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, and because of that, also, I think because our children were so small, they're just very accepting mm. of, of everything. And when I got the official diagnosis, after, when the uh, biopsy results came back, the first thing I asked the doctor was, can I reassure my kids that I'm not going to die? And he said, yes. So I, we kind of, we went in with the hat right away. So we just made it really relaxed. We were having dinner and, um, and I said, oh, you know, I went to the hospital today and turns out I've got breast cancer, but I know, I know my aunt died of cancer last year. This is not like that. I am going to get better and it's all going to be fine, but I'm going to have treatment and I'm going to be very tired and it's going to be a bit of a year, but, you know, we're going to come out the other side and it's going to be fine. And they just, they accepted it mm. really well. Like everybody, we've just always been really open and honest with both of the boys. Um, initially, we said that I had to go and have a naughty lump taken out. Um, and I just remember we were sat having dinner and, and I was sat next to Sam, who was five. And just out of the corner of my eye, I could see this hand coming towards me because he wanted to see if he could feel it. But it was like really surreptitious. Mm. And, um, and, and I think being open and honest helps them be more resilient and more aware. But also they take your lead. So if you're open and honest and quite relaxed about yeah, it. Yeah, low key. That was the that, that yeah, was that was our exactly. approach, low key and yeah. practical, you know. Yes, and and I think that's how they then view it because mm. if you're anxious and you're really showing that emotion and and anxiety, I think that's how they will react. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it's really important. Rosamond, when you were telling us about Ezra saying, "I know something worse than COVID: cancer equals death." When my children went back to school in the September I was diagnosed in July so it was through the summer holidays a a little girl said to Joe has your mum got cancer and he actually said yeah but it's not real cancer because she's not going to die so they really are so aware of cancer equals death and we've never had a conversation with them about cancer so they just pick it up I suppose from tv from drama from chats um and so on and so forth that's exactly how I felt, Victoria, mm. when my mum told me, because when I was five, her best friend died of breast cancer. And that was all I kept thinking, she's going to die. And then I blamed myself as well, because I was, the, you know, the terrible teenager and stressed her out and stress causes cancer. That's all I'd ever heard is stress causes cancer and things like that. So I was like, I've stressed her out. Oh, my gosh, it's all my fault. How did she tell you? She just sat me down and told me. But 
we weren't living together. So you remember, I've already left yeah, home. Yeah. And um, and you're 16, so you're, you're yeah. really uh, quite a vulnerable age in terms of, Very, am yeah. I still a kid? Am I mature enough I to be? At, yeah. yeah, I was at college and I, I, I struggled and I didn't tell her. But she also protected me from a lot of things. So she just kind of said, I've got breast cancer. I'm going for a mammogram. I'm going to have a mammogram. What's a mammogram? Mm. It's removal from my breast. I'll be in hospital for a week. A mastectomy, you mean? A mastectomy. I'm sorry, I'm not a member. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. in a mastectomy. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. That's chemo brain for you. Yeah. <laughs> Mixing things up. But um, yeah, so I'm going to have a, a mastectomy. I'll be in hospital for a week. Um, and then that was it. She just got on with it. And she didn't have to have radiotherapy or chemotherapy. So she just looked the same on, you know, to everybody else and to me. And she just, we never really spoke about it much after that. But the first initial time was... I blamed myself and I was like, you know, oh, will mum need help? Should I go move back in with her and help her out? And then I was like, no, I shouldn't because I'm the one that causes the stress. I'll mm. make it worse. Yeah. And that's how I kind of felt about it. And we never really discussed it. Um, but it did affect me. It affected my college work. It affected just how I was, really. Sarah, I what kind of felt like I grew up. Sorry, I just felt like I grew up within two weeks. I became an adult yeah. instead of becoming like a fun-loving, living my best life mm. teenager. Um, you know, I just felt really like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to cope on my own. And, you know, I won't have a parent if she dies and how I've got to be an adult now. Mm. That's, that's my biggest memories. Sarah, you were nine, I think, when your parents told you that your mum had breast cancer. How did they tell you and what impact did it have on you? Yeah, so similar to Camille, I'm an only child as well, and I'm hugely introverted. And my mum was basically my world. She was my best friend. Um, and I have a really photographic memory, actually. And I have such a clear picture of that day. It was um, just after Christmas. And they just sat me down. I remember exactly where I was sitting on the sofa and said, oh, mum has cancer. But they didn't, you know, this is again, pre-internet. They didn't really know a huge amount about it other than this, the little booklet they give you. So they couldn't really answer all of my questions. And I remember there was a lady who lived in the next road to us who had ovarian cancer, which is obviously a very different type of cancer. And she died from it. So the instant that my mom said she had cancer, I thought, well, that's it. She's going to die. And I think the other thing is they didn't realize when they were talking about this lady who died from cancer, I can hear all the conversations. You know, we lived in a new house. The walls were paper thin. I heard this cancer word whispered and then she'd how ill she was and she was going to die. So in my head, that was going to happen to my mum. So they were trying to talk calmly to me. And I remember it so vividly. I kind of just broke down in hysterics oh. and was just sobbing. I remember sobbing so hard because I thought she was dying like then, like the next day or something. And then I don't remember which one, but one of them then shouted at me and just said, calm down because my mum was really upset. And I think they just didn't know how to handle me because I don't think they had any help. There were no podcasts like this. Mm. There was no internet. And, you know, what do you tell this sobbing child? And it was, it was so traumatic. And then sort of, Moving forward, I remember when she was having radiotherapy because because um, I'm only child, there was nobody to look after me. So I again, I went to all of her appointments, and it was one of the sort of the ways where maybe they don't tell you everything because they want to protect you, or maybe they don't think that you need to know because you haven't asked questions. But I remember when she was having radiotherapy. I had convinced myself that actually that was what was making her sick and that the radiotherapy nurses were actually killing her. Wow. And when she was on the radiotherapy machine, the, the rays that were shooting at her was making her die. And I remember being really nasty to the radiotherapy nurses because I thought they were making my mum ill. Mm. But it was just, you know, 
if you don't tell children, their head will run away and create yeah. another story. Yeah. And that's, I think, and actually when she told me she was terminal, it was an awful lot easier because was I was that little bit older, but mostly I think we'd had seven years of being open and talking about it and they were a lot more knowledgeable and my questions were answered. So it took, there was no fear of the unknown yeah. or... That is such a good point. Probably easier. Yeah, such a good point. And Rosamond, you talked about wanting to demystify it for your children. Similarly, I took the kids, we took the kids to the chemo ward to show them, look, it's bright and light and they play radio too and it's nothing to, it's not sinister. It's not a horrible thing necessarily. And the nurse, the head chemo nurse, is such a laugh and she made them laugh and into scans just just so it was open and normal and this is what you do to have treatment what about you Rosman? well i my experience was different because of lockdown right, so of we, we couldn't the kids couldn't come to any appointments mm. or to chemo or radiotherapy or they couldn't even visit me in hospital after the mastectomy because i've wasn't allowed any visitors mm. so they haven't actually seen any of that side okay. of it which in a way maybe a good thing because mm. it's I don't know or maybe it, I mean I have no choice so <laughs> it's just the way it is yeah. but we we're very honest with them about everything mm. and it because they haven't been able to come to anything on chemo days um so my chemo was from January until June this year so it was the first bit of it was very much lockdown homeschooling everything shut down so we so my husband wanted to take me there and pick me up so we had to find somebody to take the kids it's quite a big ask yeah. really when there's homeschooling it really <laughs> and, is yeah, they've got their own kids at home um so yeah look luckily we've got amazing friends mm. we sort of had a rotor where we managed to drop the kids off with different people so that Jonathan could take me to chemo and back again um but yeah I think they they probably had a lot of fun hanging out with yeah, their friends. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah exactly. I want to ask you, Helen in particular, and Sarah, because Rosamond and Camille are sort of still in it in a way. Would you say your children now have been detrimentally affected by your diagnosis then? Do you want to start, Helen? Do you want me to? <laughs> I don't mind. Um... I I don't see any evidence that they that they have been detrimentally affected I think and I think again being open and honest I think has helped that because they've they've seen every step that I've gone through um and and I didn't have chemotherapy in the end I just went straight on to radiotherapy but as I say they came with me to every appointment because it was in the summer holidays um we'd go there first thing in the morning and then we'd go and do something else for the rest of the day and through the time that I've had the mammograms and been taking the tamoxifen which is a whole other circumstance in itself they've been with me through all of that you know they'd sit there and go oh you're having another hot flush mum you know and you know, mm. so, exactly, so it's normalized yeah, in I, a way and I think yeah slightly off topic I I had spinal surgery when I was 16 um to correct a curvature so I've got metal rods and screws in my spine anyway um and so my approach um because I'm inv heavily involved with a, a charity for that my approach has always been to share and talk about my experience <clears throat> with anyone you know anyone who wants to know because it the, the evidence and the feedback shows that that helps other people so much 
understand the journey they're going through and they can see someone else has been on it and they can sort of see what the the outcomes can be and then it can be a positive outcome and it then it suddenly becomes far less scary and I think that's yeah. the same yeah for kids and and my two I think as well. Sarah, have any of your four been, would you say, negatively impacted by so your So I can diagnosis? either answer this as a, a parenting professional or I can answer personally. Um, personally, please. I'm going to say yes. I think they really have. I can't ignore what I know professionally and there's sort of the impacts of adverse childhood experiences. I can't ignore how it impacted them during their A-levels and their GCSEs, um, how I think it almost took a little bit of innocence, a little bit of their childhood away. But I would counterbalance that by saying, you know, even for me, I think I'm sure you'd all agree, agree cancer is horrendous, but it also brings good things to your life. So I'm such a completely different person now than I was two and a half years ago. And I think also for them, so we, we were always close, but we are much closer than we ever were. And our sort of communication and our talking is much more open. And in some sort of bizarre way, I think it helped us to get through lockdown. So I know many, many teenagers have struggled with their mental health during lockdown. And mine were no exception. But because we were already so open, because we were talking about the feelings because of cancer, I think it's like oddly helped them with their mental health through COVID as well. But I would be really Mm -hmm. naive if I said, no, I don't think it's had a negative impact on them. I wish I could say. Okay, that's it. I don't. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you for being honest. Honestly, that that is what this podcast is all about. For what it's worth, I would say my two, I cannot see any negative impact on them. We were always open. They're still open. They used to fight. They still fight and argue. Things seem normal to me as their mum six years on. So hopefully that, that will give some reassurance to to people listening who might worry about that because people do ask me that a lot but it's i think it's important um, to, you know even w- if you say that you think they're being negatively impacted it doesn't mean you can't do anything about it 100 percent, 100 percent, totally i want to ask you all finally if i may and i do this at the end of every podcast for anybody listening right now who may be at the point of telling their children whatever age they are What's your own advice? And as we said at the beginning, there's no right and wrong way of doing this. But what would you say, Rosalind? I would say honesty is really important. And like you say, a focus on the practical. So this is this is what this is exactly the treatment I'm having at the moment. This is the side effects of it. This is how it's making me better. Um, and also, I think because you will have those days where you just feel absolutely shit and you just you just feel like having a total meltdown and you can't talk to anyone. I, even though I go on about honesty and I think it's really important to be honest with them, I save that for when they're in bed. And I kind of, I don't want them to see me cry or to see me really upset. I kind of, I try to protect, I don't, you know, I'm not jaunty about having cancer. I, I can have mm. an honest conversation with them where I say, oh, I'm feeling quite sad at the moment because I'm sad about losing my hair or I'm sad about, you know, I thought treatment would be over by now, but it turns out I have to have more adjuvant chemo. I do talk to them about my feelings, but the meltdowns I save for when they're asleep. Fair enough. Camille? I would say honesty is the best policy, especially now in the age that we are. You don't want children going to Google to find out things that are probably misinformed. 
Um, and I would also say have a plan. So for me, um, I was my college studies were affected and I told my tutor when I was at college. And although my son was on his placement year and he's just gone back in October to university, we messaged his university because he had like an end of year assignment and he just couldn't do it. His brain was not there physically, you know, just so we got extensions. And also the university were really good in able to say, if you need support, there's these different um, places that are there for you that the university can support you the other thing that I would advise is for me I chose not to tell everybody that I had breast cancer I chose a select number of friends and not the whole of our family so that my son could have some normality so he chose to tell four of his friends one of whose parents had had breast cancer as well so he had someone who was his age that could understand um, and then we didn't tell any of his cousins, which he's very close in age to. So that every time he went to his other grandma's house, he could just have a normal weekend. And that was really yeah. nice. So that wasn't like every person, you know, is just saying, how are you? But how are you really? It was just he could just be normal. And so having that kind of it kind of was I did it to protect him. I don't know if he would have been all right either way, but it it felt like it worked. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. You did yeah. What you and I think if right. you can try and get some normality in your child's life while they're going through it it's great but also have some help and support there or know where he can go or they can go to when if it's needed and he didn't use the the counseling services at university to my knowledge um but at least he knew if he needed it it was there for him to go to one of the things i would say is there is support out there for younger people under the age of 18 but there's nothing there once you hit 18 you're treated like a grown adult and i think that university students are in that awkward in-between stage. And so yeah. that's why I went and suggested that we email the university and his tutor. Sarah, as a as a mum who's had breast cancer and as a parenting author, what would your advice be? You know, honesty is so important. I would always use the word cancer. You just have to think about if they don't hear something from you, they're going to hear it from whispers or overheard conversations. If they can read, they might read something on a letter that you receive or something. So just always be as open as possible with them. And absolutely agree. We told the school, we told the university. I actually told very few people, um, but it was really important to me that their teachers knew and understood Um I would be wary that it's not just when you tell them or like in the immediate sort of aftermath that they need support, but certainly in sort of the years later, like, you know, everybody knows if you've had breast cancer, going through breast cancer awareness month is just horrendous and like constant triggers, but it doesn't just trigger you. So every October, like I'm really aware of what my children are picking up from the TV, um, two years, 10 years down the line, it, that won't necessarily go away. So kind of checking in, in with them even as the years go by. But I think the most important thing is that in trying to be brave and support them, it's really important that we don't overlook our own feelings and our own needs. And we don't try to sort of hide what we're feeling in order to be some sort of supportive rock for them. It's not good for them to in, in a way, it almost takes away their chance to sort of be upset and to grieve as well if you're very stoic all the time. So I think it's really important to take time away for you as a parent and work through your own feelings, perhaps in your own space and your own time, as well as just being the mum, if that makes sense. It does. Helen? I would, again, say be open and honest because I think in order for us to expect them it's sort of different ages to be open and honest with us about how they feel I think we've got to be 
doing the same for them and sort of leading by example. Um, and I think, as I've said before, I think just having the awareness and the knowledge is far better than not knowing. Um, and it helps them deal with the challenges and deals with will help them deal with challenges themselves as they grow older. Um, and as Camille said, keeping a bit of routine as well. I mean, we were really, really busy. So we just stuck to that busy routine. And I, and I think that helps, you know, it, it's that norma- normality for them. Um, but again, giving them the opportunity to experience what you feel they should <clears throat> experience or what is appropriate to their age um, so that they can understand what the process is but give them the opportunities to share their emotions and how they feel as well. I would echo the honesty point. I really would. It felt like it was so important to be clear and honest and non-dramatic and non-sensationalist and practical. And we did tell our boys primary school that this is what was happening and potentially they might get upset in lessons. Joe, the younger one, was occasionally upset uh, and it was always during maths, so he could get out of maths, funnily enough. Um, listen, thank you so thank much, you. all of you. It's been so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for your wise words. Thank you for being honest about your experiences. Rosamond, Camille, Sarah and Helen, thank you. Uh, if you want more information about breast cancer, then please do contact the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. They're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they've got a website. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can contact me at any point on Instagram or Twitter at Vic Derbyshire. And this has been a Factory Original and Six Foot Six production. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text We Care to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text cost your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.